festivities. This is great fellowship. And this is what community is about. So we assume today that we may have some chaos in the room today. And that's fine. Because in the end, we're all in this together, from oldest to youngest. So my name is Chris Lawson, and I'm not a member of the teaching team, per se, but from time to time, I lend my voice to the conversation and to the dialogue, which I hope to do today. Community for the teaching team begins like this. Usually, they all get up at the crack of dawn and meet together midweek and start to talk about a passage of scripture. And in the works is something called a common teaching document. Now, Kim Patron will understand this as a lawyer. This is a new concept, a common document. Now, I deal with documents all the time. I take input on documents, but maybe this fits my personality. I love being in control of that document. So when I first went this pro through this process with a common document, I kind of stroked out. Because everybody has access, everybody gets to, you know, to give input into that document. Well, that document ends, its, ends up um, being a conglomeration of notes and eventually an introduction and some questions that is passed along to you, even before the service begins, in hopes that you can engage from the very beginning. And then, to the extent the grace groups want to take that document or those notes or those questions, they can do that and integrate it into their discussion. So that is a form of community, right? Even in the, in the context of how we attempt to teach and to pray through the scriptures that we are studying together. So with the children here today, first of all, let me ask them to, to do something for me. I have with me my favorite backpack. Miss Feli gave this to me for Christmas. She knows I love to roam around in the woods. So, boys and girls, to, to those of you who are in here today and you're not normally in here today, I need you to watch this bag as much as you can. Because I have some things in here that might be interesting to you. Um, the problem is that I don't want anyone, while I'm talking, to take anything out of the bag. Like Mr. Sean, you know, he's an LSU guy, so we have to watch out for him. So if you see anybody come in here to get something out of this bag, I want you to raise your hand and just yell it out. Mr. Sean is in the bag. Yes. So what I have in here are, are just a couple of what I call artifacts. And an artifact is something old something that is left over from a different time, like me. So I'm going to pull a few things out, one near the beginning, and then the second one near the end. So kids, if you see me bring out the second artifact, you know we're about done, and it's about time to go to lunch. But hopefully that will help us today to talk about the gospel and how it can transform our lives. Because John Ray and the others on the teaching team have been dedicating this entire month to a question of what are we going to do as a community to respond? 
if the gospel is more than a philosophy and a set of facts, if it is more than a set of circumstances, but is instead what we believe to be a transforming relationship, a dynamic relationship, the simple question is, what are we going to do? What are you going to do? What am I going to do now? When we talk about community, we can't help but think about experience here with this group. You know, I remember the first time we visited Grace Church more than five years ago, the first person I met was Teresa Cornett. Teresa, at that time, and still is, although she's retiring very soon, unfortunately, uh, teacher at Vandegrift Elementary School. And I don't know how she knew this, but she'd figured out that Josie was starting school at Vandegrift. And so she reached out to us, not to say, hey, this is a great church and we've got all these wonderful programs for your kids, but instead to say, I am there, and if you need my help, I'll be there. And then that began a relationship and a friendship where Alex and Teresa were taking us in, making us feel like a part of a big family. It wasn't too long after that that we got to, to know some brilliant teachers in this community, math teachers, Lou and Marcia. And I don't think Clary and Josie would be embarrassed for me to tell you that they have a math defect. And it is genetic. It came from me. So it wasn't just that they had two great teachers. It's that they had two people in this community who knew them and addressed that defect. Or not defect. That's not a defect. Okay, it is a defect. <laughs> they addressed it. And then I remember not so long ago, my mother-in-law was very ill. And Feli needed to be with her. And it, it was the kind of thing where she needed to be with her for several weeks. And it just so happened that it was around the holidays. So that Christmas morning, Clary and Josie woke up for the first time in their lives without their mother in the house. It was not an easy time. But the most vivid memory I have of that Christmas is having Christmas dinner at the Rays. And it was warm, and it was a great meal. It did something I've never done before, and this is just like John Ray. We turned on music and danced, all of us, <laughs> dancing around the den at the, Ray, at the Ray's house to Christmas music. And it's a wonderful memory. And that's community. So where do we go from here? Let me begin by showing you one of the props. One of my artifacts. So boys and girls, have any of you ever played the game of Monopoly? Anyone done that? Don't have to be a kid to do that. Okay. Has anyone ever seen this kind of a Monopoly game? It's a little different. Boston Red Sox, special edition Monopoly. 
Now, one of the great things about teaching on Sunday morning, I'm, I'm speaking to the boys and the girls, not to the adults, okay? One of the great things about speaking on, on Sunday morning like this is the person who has the microphone has all of the answers. <laughs> Can answer any question. Always tells the truth. So I wanted to tell you boys and girls that the greatest team in the history of baseball <laughs> is the Boston Red Sox. Now you may have heard that it's the Kansas City Royals or it's the St. Louis Cardinals or it's the evil empire other, otherwise known as the New York Yankees. So boys and girls, the New York Yankees say that they're baseball players, but really they are stormtroopers. <laughs> really are. The other question would be, have you ever seen a Monopoly game like this that obviously is pretty old, but it's never been opened before? See, I've still got the, the cellophane from the original box. I've never touched it, even though this was given to me almost 10 years ago. You probably haven't seen that. But what we're going to talk about today a little bit is how people tend to fixate on things. Things that are of value to them. Things that they are affectionate about. But at some point in time, they realize this is only a collector's item. Just like that box, which I never opened because it was of such value to me. And there's nothing wrong with the collector's edition of Monopoly but it has absolutely nothing to do with the kingdom of God, which transforms us. So let me tell you another story, too. And it relates to the sailboat here that you see. This is a true story. I'm not telling you the story because of the people involved, their names or where they come from. True story from 2014 with this sailboat, which appropriately had the name of the Rebel Heart. This is not just a story about a boat in the Pacific Ocean. It's a story about a home. Believe it or not, there are quite a few people with sailing experience who will take all of their resources, all of their investments, all of their savings, and put it into a boat. And they, with their family, will set sail with nothing but the breeze and the water and their view of freedom in this rebel heart. This particular family, the couple, a married couple, they had two children. One aged three, one aged one, who set sail. Their destination was a little bit unclear. They knew they were going to be in the South Pacific Ocean. They were going to make their way to New Zealand eventually, to Micronesia, and then to Indonesia. And we're not talking about a three-hour tour. We're not talking about a few months in a boat. This family set sail 
on a journey they knew would take years to complete. Now, the captain of the, of the vessel, um, Mr. Kaufman, had a lot of experience sailing. He had a master's license uh, from the Coast Guard and was very experienced. They had three forms of safety devices on this sailboat. One was long-range radio, the other was satellite, a satellite phone, and the third was a device called the Emergency Position Indicating Radio Beacon, IPERB for short. Just uh, kind of like the size of a, a cup, fluorescent green with a little antenna on it and a little light that indicated when it was going to be activated. And this was the, the, the device of last resort for this family if they were in trouble. Because it had the ability, this EPIRB, to send a signal to the Coast Guard that is you know, something parallel to a mayday. We have no way of saving ourselves. We need help. And this device will allow help to come for a rescue. But there is a consideration for those who might push the button on the EPIRB, particularly for this family. And that is, once the button is pushed and once the rescue attempt is underway, it cannot be stopped. And once the rescue is complete, there will be no way to save the boat. There will be no mechanism for coming back to get the boat. So for this family, the question would be, are we at a point where we are willing to give up everything that we have in this world to save ourselves? Two problems emerged fairly early on in this voyage. One was just high seas. Unfortunately, during one of the episodes of the high seas, there was a, what's called a brooch. And so the sailboat tips over for a few seconds and hits the water. And so the, in this case, the boom got wet. That boom that runs horizontal underneath the sail. Because the boom is attached to certain mechanisms in the hull and certain wiring, when it took on water in that way, some of the um, the equipment in the hull and the hull itself was damaged during the brooch. And so this ship began to take on water. Now it wasn't at the beginning enough water to really cause them too much concern. They had a pump uh, and they could pump out the water every day. But the other thing that was going on is that the quadrant of the hull where the water was coming in was also where the electronic devices were stored, the wiring for the radio. But more importantly than that, the one-year-old was getting sick, and they didn't know why. There was a rash on this baby, and there was, you know, it was kind of, sounds kind of strange, maybe some of you in the medical profession know, but her, her ears had a certain odor like cheese. And the parents were obviously very concerned. So they're able to call on the satellite radio, they're able to talk to a doctor, and he says, well, give her some antibiotics, because they have antibiotics on the sailboat. But unfortunately, after a couple of days of antibiotics, 
it becomes clear that the little girl is not getting any better. And then they try to use the satellite radio again, and it keeps coming up with this error that says SIMS card error, SIMS card error, and they realize they can't use their satellite phone anymore. As it turns out, what happened was the carrier for the satellite radio had sent them in the mail at their last home address a new SIMS card to put in the phone, and a week later had deactivated the phone. So their phone had been deactivated. The long-range radio at this point is somewhat limited because they are already 1,200 miles out to sea. They know that they are only three weeks away from landfall, but it would be at a French Polynesian island that they think probably doesn't even have healthcare facilities available. So they are left with a choice. We have our home, we have our family, we have everything we have in this world right here. But if we want to push that button, we give it all away. But this is our child. There's so many things I've thought about in the last couple of days and this week as I've thought back about some of the things that have been taught by others on the teaching team. And so I wanted to just talk with you just for a few minutes about some things that, in particular, John Ray talked about last week and the week before. Because I think when we talk about transformational living, we have to think about what are the things that might get in the way. Not because we're bad people, but because we're people and we like things. You remember when John was teaching about the arrest of Jesus and he talked about how this bizarre situation where Judas Iscariot you know, betrays him with a kiss? And then there's the episode with one of the, either the bystanders, it could have been Peter, who draws his sword and slices off the ear of one of the Roman soldiers. I want to remind you about that. Because John taught these things, I thought, in such a compelling way about the misuse of affection, misguided swords, in that incident. To remember how we are so prone to misuse our affection in a culture which is dominated by so many things that have absolutely nothing to do with love and relationships. And the way we have a tendency to use our swords, to use our aggression, our aggression in response to situations that we do not understand, because we're only human, but doing things in a way that simply divides and marginalizes, as John said, instead of bringing people together as a community. And John also talked about the misunderstanding of Scripture, where we want to think maybe because of our background or because of our culture that we are worshiping some type of bipolar God who sits in an angry heaven and needs Jesus to convince him that we are worthy, that we are worthy of grace. And you remember John so eloquently taught that we, we, we worship one God, one Jesus, 
that this God is pursuing each and every one of you, even though you would run and you would hide, and even as you would deny him, just as Peter did. After Peter saw the trial of Jesus and the sentence of death, Peter's response was like many of us, to cower and to deny Jesus. But Jesus looked upon him, and Peter remembered, and Peter wept. There are a couple other things that I wanted to draw from the teaching from our teaching elder and from Randall and Mike and others who have taught. And that is the barrier that comes from living in a culture where we are so wealthy. And I know that many of us struggle from day to day to make ends meet. But compared against the rest of the world, what we experience every day is like kings and queens and princes, royalty. This was made so vivid to me as I read tragically about the situation in Flint, Michigan, where the change in water supply from a lake to a river and the inability and the failure of the governing authorities to put into the water the necessary chemical to prevent corrosion of the pipes led to the seepage of iron into the drinking supply for all of the residents of Flint, Michigan. We were, I was, I was just floored by that. And then I thought about it in context of things we, we talk about in here and I realized how much I take for granted. Because indeed, the, the experience of the residents of Flint, Michigan is more like the experience of everyone in the world, except us. This can cause us to become somewhat insensitive to what is that transformational power that would take us beyond our ordinary day-to-day -day lives into a complete new way of living. And there's one more that I wanted to share with you before we go back to the story of the rebel heart. And that, again, is, a, is an artifact that I want to show you from my backpack here. My family will roll their eyes when I bring this out because I've, I've talked about this with them before, and I think it's so cool. <laughs> I finally found an application for it, this artifact. A box came in the mail to me in November of 1973. It was for my birthday. My aunt had sent me a gift in the mail and she was the kind of aunt that always gave the best gifts. She didn't have any children of her own. And so therefore those kinds of gifts that maybe, maybe wouldn't be the ones that parents could work out, she always found a way to work out. This is the very box it came in. 42 years ago. So, Josie, I'll hand you the box, and I'll hand you the original wrapping tray. 
This is the original battery <laughs> from 1973. And this is the artifact. Anyone know what this is? Well, it was my pride and joy for many years. You can tell it's got a strap to go around your wrist and it has three knobs. You see, in 1973, the technology was such that we were thinking about how small can you get with a radio, an AM radio, radio amplitude modulation. And there was something special about having a radio on your wrist. It was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. And I don't know. Maybe. Come on. Don't let me down. Wait. It's the room. Actually, actually this, this worked at home this morning. I turned this on and, and I got a station on this. It still works. It really does. Now, once again, I have pre preserved an artifact, a thing that was very valuable to me. But I want you to think about this for a minute. Some of you may have or may be familiar with what's called an Apple Watch. They couldn't call it an iWatch because of copyright reasons. I don't know how well the, the Apple Watch has sold. I've never seen one. But interestingly enough, I have read or listened to the trailer from Apple about the Apple Watch. And it talks about the crown technology on the watch and how it is able to give the user fluid access to all of the applications on the watch. And it talks about how, how things are magnified so that it can be used. But here's the interesting thing about the trailer, at least to me, and I think it might be to you as well. Apple's trailer said, this is something new because it is intimate technology. And it goes on to talk about the value of intimacy in technology. If you wear an Apple Watch, the watch is activated by you raising your arm. It's a part of you, I guess. It's attached to you, I guess. And when I thought about that, I realized that this is the same technology. It's just primitive in comparison to the Apple Watch. We like to have things that are attached to us that we have a value that we've placed in the object and we sometimes even believe that that equates with intimacy but the truth is that what Jesus offers us is the only true form of intimacy you know we have all kinds of things that we put on that word in our culture and our relationships with other people in our friendships and our marriages in particular, of course, we find, you know, intimacy is what we strive for. But in a larger sense, 
this is what this is what Jesus is offering each and every one of us. And I'll just be absolutely transparent with you in saying that I know, based on my life, the good and the bad, the mistakes, the things I've overcome, is that I am scared to death of intimacy. Because I am afraid of being fully known I am afraid for being defined by my mistakes. I am afraid that I'm not good enough. Maybe one or more of you can relate to what that's like if you're honest with yourself. And so for me, and maybe for some of you, this process of answering the question, what am I going to do, means... All of those things we talked about from the, from the gospel story, all the things that we need to look at and overcome, and it also includes that fear because God wants to know us fully and does and wants to be in a relationship with us that is the true measure of intimacy. It is the intimacy that we are designed for, having been created in the image of God notwithstanding all the things that we attempt in this life to use to replace that intimacy because it's easier and because it's safer. For me, I need to let go. And I need to be transformed. Now let's go back to our story. Because the decision likely was not that difficult for the parents because they loved, their, they loved their child and knew that it would be three weeks before the rebel heart would make its way to landfall and then there were still questions. So they pushed the button and I'm not sure what, the, you know, they didn't know what to expect and I would not have known what to expect either. But for, for almost an entire day, there was complete silence. Nothing. Now, the light was blinking on the EPIRB. But near sunset, all of a sudden, a C-130 comes out of the sky and buzzes the boat. The captain of the boat, the father, said it, like, it was like 100 feet above our boat. And then four National Air Guardsmen drop out of the sky with parachutes, and they've got a boat with a motor that can get them safely to the rebel heart in the South Seas. And the account goes like this. These are four highly trained National Guardsmen. When they learn there's a medical problem with the child, they immediately begin to help the child. But the thing about the story that is really amazing is that they were so far out at sea that it took three days for a Navy vessel to reach them. And so the four Air National Guardsmen and that family we're on that boat together for four days, pumping out water every day until the Navy vessel arrived to rescue them. And they were rescued. But the last thing the captain had to do before they left was scuttle the boat. He sank the boat. He had to. And when he was talking about it later, he said, you know, I didn't look back 
I just did what I had to do. And I knew that our future lay ahead. And we were safe. Before we close today, I, I did have one other ship that came to mind. Um, and, you know, I can't, I can't do a, a talk without mentioning Star Wars and the Millennium Falcon. Of course, I'm from South Arkansas, so I say Falcon. I think the proper pronunciation is Falcon. Um, but this ship, of course, is known for many rescues. And I think it has a tug on many of our hearts because we first learned about it when we were kids. And then, miraculously, the ship can still work after an entire generation has passed. You know, all the characters in Star Wars in our new movie have all aged, right? Luke and Princess Leia, Han Solo, not Chewbacca. But with those years that have gone by, amazingly, the Millennium Falcon is sitting in a garbage dump covered by a tarp. But when the right person starts pushing the buttons in the Millennium Falcon, it shoots into space, ready for action, and indeed is ready for the greatest rescue since the last time. And that's amazing. And it's good for our hearts to come to understand that there is no place that you have been. No garbage dump, no sewer, no ditch, no place that you have ever been or find yourselves that would not allow you to be completely rescued by the power of the gospel. I'm going to ask the worship team to return to the front. And we are going to um, enter a time of reflection this morning. And this is another thing that I love about our community. Is that we, um, we have communion every Sunday. And I love that we have a table that is approachable. A table that reflects our brokenness and our incompleteness. And I love the fact that at Grace, communion is open to all who seek Jesus. And we don't put any more words on that at all. If you seek Jesus, then we want you to approach this table with us. Now we won't, you know, we won't uh, do this by rose or in any other way. It's just as the Spirit would lead you to come from your seat to take communion. Um, this is also a time when we pass around a basket that we call an offering plate. And I like the fact that we have a basket and that we don't have a gold, shiny offering plate. I like it's a basket because giving is the ultimate evidence of humility. 
And giving is the ultimate evidence of releasing ourselves into community. Finally, we take time at the end of every service to acknowledge that there needs to be a time when we can pray. Not as a corporate prayer, but one-on-one -on -one with someone that you trust. And I can't help but think again back to Peter. Peter who had denied Jesus three times. But Peter remembered and Peter wept. And so we acknowledge in this time that this may be a time when you need to remember and weep. Thank you for being here today to share this time. I love this community.